Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our review series examines books, movies, music, and other media in the light of God's truth. We pray that it will be eye-opening, instructional, and beneficial for your daily walk with Christ. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew, and joining me today is Pastor Ben Libby. Ben, it's been a little while since you and I have done a podcast in general together, uh, but even even a little bit longer since we've done one on hymnology and a particular hymn of the hymnal. Nice to have you back in the saddle again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a while, but uh, it's really good to get back and study uh, with you. And in this case, uh, dig into a, a wonderful Lenten hymn here. So we are in the season of Lent right now. And I, I have to be honest, the Lenten season and the Lenten hymns are my favorite in the entire hymnal. I mean, there's some really good ones in other parts of the hymnal too, but there's just something so deep theologically and rich theologically with the Lenten hymns that we have in the Lutheran hymnal. And so I'm excited to go through the one that we're going to be looking at today. We're taking a look at hymn 143 in the Lutheran hymnal. The title is, O dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? Probably a familiar one to many of our listeners as well. The, this hymn was written originally in German by a fellow pastor uh, whose name was Johann Hermann. He has a little bit of an interesting history. He was, he was kind of an orphan boy. He, his father died at an early age. He lived and grew up through the 30 years war. His mother's prayer, she lost a bunch of her other children. And her prayer for Johann was that he would go into the public ministry if the Lord would spare his life. And the Lord did. And he did fulfill his, his mother's desire and, and, and promise. He did go into the ministry, but he was pretty sickly his entire life. Like I said, went through the 30 years war, very miserable time to be a, alive and to serve as a pastor, lost everything that he had time and time again. And yet what I find is so ironic about that, and it's not just Hermann, but you think about Martin Rinkert and Paul Gerhardt and some of those others that were alive at the same time, how much they valued and treasured what their savior had done for them. And you really see that in this hymn, don't you? Oh yeah, definitely. I think a lot of those authors of the time you're talking about, they're really, really conscious of the, the world yet to come because uh, things were really bad around them. And I mean, maybe in our day and age, Nathaniel, we're not so focused on that. But I mean, we always should be, you know, death, anyone could die at any time. But I think with this hymn uh, specifically, yeah, it, it, there's a very deep understanding of what I have done versus what Jesus has done. And, you know, Jesus being perfect and me being completely sinful. And yet Jesus is the one who dies on the cross in pain and in agony. And and, uh, and I get to I get to live, you know, the, the sinless son of God dies in sadness and the sinful child of man lives in gladness. And uh, that's what we have going on here. So yeah, the Lenten hymns, like you were saying is it just has that, that constant reminder of man, Jesus, he was perfect and yet he died and I'm sinful and yet I live and, you know, glory be to God. Yeah. So this hymn is long. <laughs> Yes. In our hymnal, it takes up two pages, which, may, which gives you a little bit of an idea of how long it is. The, our hymnal has 15 verses of this. Uh, Catherine Winkworth, when she translated it, made some changes to the original 
or it's been changed a little bit from her original English translation. We're not going to take all 15, but we are going to take a look at the, the first number of verses as well as the last couple of verses. And before we get into it, Ben, we're talking about the season of Lent. For somebody who's never heard that before, not familiar with the season of Lent, not coming from that background, what is what is Gerhardt going to be covering in this hymn? How might you summarize what we're going to go into and talk about in this hymn? Well, basically, it it, it ponders the question. It I think it kind of walks into the cross and basically is wondering the question of what is really going on here? You know, uh, obviously, it sees Jesus on the cross and it's it asks basically a, a pretty human perspective from it of what did this guy do to end up there? And then, you know, through the verses, it kind of takes us on the journey that self-discovery of, you know, through the spirit, I'd say of, you know what, it really, he didn't deserve to be up there. I did, you know, and it's really, it's really beautiful in that, in that way that it, it takes, a, it takes somebody who even without any, any, any knowledge of what was going on. You think of maybe like the people who were there at the cross that day, that good Friday of being like, Whoa, this guy, you know, it, it kind of like the thief on the cross. I'd say, you know, he kind of, he's like, eventually he realizes we deserve to be up here. You know, this guy, he, he didn't. And I think that's kind of what the hymn does. It, it says, what did this guy do to possibly put himself up there? And then it kind of realizes Oh no, it was me. You know, I, I should have been up there. He's up there for me. And it really takes us theologically step-by-step into that process. One of the unique features of this hymn is that it has a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. You're bringing that out and you don't see that in a lot of hymns. Usually they're saying, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. But this is a unique way of bringing the message to us. And it's by asking questions to get us think about teaching styles and asking questions is a good way to get us to analyze what is reality what is truth and Hermann does that with this particular hymn we see a couple of those in the opening verses and we kind of see it in the opening line too let's begin with verse one he writes oh dearest jesus what law hast thou broken that such sharp sentence should on thee be spoken of what great crime hast thou to make confession what dark transgression Take us in the first verse. Yeah. So I think with that, it's, it's a simple question, you know, what did this guy do? And, and it's something that's reflected uh, throughout in scripture. Also um, the, if you look at, if you open your hymnal and you look at the scripture reference, that's Luke 23 verses 20 to 24. And basically that's uh pilot. He brings Jesus out and he, he asks, you know, the, the Jews, I find no fault in him. You know, he, he hasn't done anything deserving of death. And, you know, at this point they're, they're already stirred up. They don't, they don't want to hear that. He, he offers to try to take the middle way, you know, I'm just going to chastise him and then I'm going to let him go. I'm going to punish him, you know, to kind of appease you. And then I'm going to let him go. And the people are just not having it. They, uh, they don't, they're not going to, at this point they, they're out for blood. You know, but it, it also is remarkable in that section of scripture that it, uh, Luke says there for the third time, Pilate says as much, you know, like I find nothing deserving of death for him. And you think about what 
you know, what did he do? It was nothing. Um, the the high priests, they thought that he was guilty of blasphemy, but it's not blasphemy for the sinful son of God to call himself God. <laughs> um, they were ready to have him. That's all they needed. But then they needed, they also needed Roman approval to have this happen. So they're, they're getting pilots to that point of, no, you can't just let him go. If you do, you're not a friend of Caesar. He calls himself a king. You know, it's all very flimsy. But at the same time, Pilate knows he's innocent and he just wants to get out of it, you know, but he just doesn't. And eventually he just he lets the people's cries, you know, persuade them. And he tries to do everything he can to not be associated with it. He washes his hands. Fine, you go see to it yourselves. But he did approve, you know, by he tried to find a way out, but he couldn't do it. And uh, yeah. So what did he do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. In fact, in fact, if there was he was innocent in a way that no one else has ever been innocent. And yet they punished him in the most severe way possible. Crucifixion, death, death on the cross. So yeah. Uh, what, oh dearest Jesus, what law has thou broken? Nothing. Uh, what sharp sentence should on thee be spoken? Nothing. What great crime? Nothing. You have no crime to confess. But I, I think kind of for us, Nathaniel, the, the answer, it's a very simple question, but law did he break? None of them. But for our souls, we need the answer to be complicated. You know, we need it to be, he did break the law because I broke it. You know, he's taking all of the transgressions that my soul did, all the sins that I have committed, and he's taking that upon himself. So what law did he break? All of them, because that's what I did. I broke all of them. You referenced Luke 23 and the section with Pilate. And it's interesting that in that section, Pilate asks a question. Why? Mm -hmm. What evil has he done? We were talking about the questions that are found in that opening verse, and we're going to see more of them later on. But this hymn is not coming from Pilate's perspective because it starts off, oh, dearest Jesus. It's really the Christian who's asking this question as the Christian reflects on all of those things that you were talking about. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and yet what did he do? He had him beaten. He had him tortured. He had him crucified ultimately because he wanted to please the crowd. And in the second verse, we begin to see some of these things that Jesus did endure. This is taken right from the gospel records of the various things that Pilate allowed to happen to Jesus. Part of it was to make, I think he thought he could make the people feel sorry for Jesus and they would change their mind. Well, mm -hmm. that didn't happen. No. Nope. So he had to keep doubling down until finally he allowed them to crucify him. But let's look at verse two, which does bring in some of the specific events of the suffering of Jesus under Pilate and what Jesus endured on our behalf. Verse two, they crown thy head with thorns. They smite, they scourge thee with cruel mockings. To the cross they urge thee. They give thee gall to drink. They still decry thee. They crucify thee. Yeah, just, I mean, so you're talking about, you know, the, obviously the, the scripture references there from the, the passion are, are multiple. Uh, they crowned his thorn with a, or their, his head with the crown of thorns. They beat that into him. They smited him, you know, they, they tortured him, basically. They scourged him. And not only just that, uh, you know, they they mocked him also. But throughout the whole process, you know, they're always, they're, there's always people there, you know, mocking him. Uh, like like they, they hit him and then they said, 
And when he was blindfolded, uh, prophesied to us, Christ, who was it that struck you? You know, like the whole thing was very derisive, very abusive. Um, Obviously, it's crucifixion. So, but yeah, just just all kinds of uh, the the, the gall to drink. You know, Uh, they they still are even when he's on the cross, they're still mocking him. He saved others himself. He cannot save, you know, Um, it's just there's so much shame and and anguish going on here and and i think kind of what what happens during lent to nathaniel is we see this and we kind of get at least i i do i i get angry you know like this is the innocent son of god there was no one more innocent than jesus and this is the way that they treat him like like how how dare they what right did they have to pound that crown of thorns into his head to treat him the way that they did to to even spit on him you know like, how dare they? And the point is, it, it's kind of like Peter, you know, Peter's ready to fight in the garden. He cuts off the ear of Malchus and, uh, you know, he's ready to defend Jesus. Like, over oh, my dead body, is this going to happen? But Jesus, after that event, he says, how else would the scriptures be fulfilled? You know, this had to happen. And uh, so anger is completely the wrong emotion to feel about this you just, we got to stand in awe that that the almighty god who created the universe allowed this kind of treatment to happen to him and why did he do that because of the great love with which he has loved us well that leads us nicely into verse three verse three gets right into that why mm-hmm. why would he allow all of this to happen why why didn't he he told peter Hey, if I wanted to get out of this, I could call down legions of angels and you know, take care of all of this right now. Mm-hmm. But then how can the scriptures be fulfilled? So we get into to the, the why of verse in verse three. Hermann writes, whence come these sorrows? Whence this mortal anguish? It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. Yea, all the wrath, the woe thou dost inherit, this I do merit. Yeah, and and with this first, uh, what I kind of want to mention is, what is it that makes a good for a good hymn? You know, obviously uh, a melody is good, like a good melody. Uh, scripture references, you know, like uh, in this hymn, there's as we've already kind of pointed out, there's multiple allusions to multiple points of scripture here, but also a good hymn is theological. It teaches biblical truths. And from this, at this point, it's kind of like, I love how in verse two, it's all they, like they did this to you. They, they, they smite you. They scourge you. They uh, mock you. And then the verse three, it's the realization that, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it wasn't just they, it is I, I am responsible for this, for your sorrows, for your anguish, for your languishing, all the wrath that you are enduring on the cross, that's what I deserve. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's law, you know, like I am the one who deserves this. My sins condemn me, but Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sins for me. It's such a, it's such a beautiful point. You know, you start with verse one, what did he do? And then number, and then verse two, why are they doing this to him? And then in verse three, you realize, oh, it's me. I am the one that's doing that to him. True. I did. I wasn't there physically. I didn't physically 
nail the nails into his hands and his feet, pound the crown of thorns into his head. But I am just as much to blame for that happening. I am um, guilty. You know, I am the reason that that's going on. And that's a powerful realization right there. One of the other things I think that's interesting about verse three is that we see a little bit of a change and it helps us to understand the the history behind this period in time. Mm. In, in verse three, notice the personal aspect. Whence come these sorrows? Whence this mortal anguish? It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. Yea, all the wrath, the woe, thou didst inherit, this I do merit. And it's interesting, in this period during the Thirty Years' War, there was a little bit of a transition in hymnody where uh, Hermann and Rinkert and Gerhardt as another one, they actually began to develop a hymnody that was much more personal. Instead of just general theological truths, it's general theological truths that apply specifically to me. And we start to see that in verse three. And then when we get to the last five verses of this hymn, every single line says me, my, I, there's, there's this personal application. What does all of this mean to me? This isn't just something that happened 2000 years ago and it has no application to me whatsoever, other than it's written in a history book somewhere. Mm -hmm. This directly relates to my life, not just now, but in eternity. And I think that's really important to realize that we have some some of the hymn writers prior to uh, Hermann and Gerhardt that, that had rich theological truths, but, but very little personal application. And we see that the Lutherans at this period of history, they wanted to make sure that people understood that what we learn about in the Bible, what Christ has done for us, isn't just some historical event. It has personal application to my own life. And in this case, it's my sins that Jesus died for. And that's, boy, if you don't walk away with that understanding, you miss the whole point of this hymn, because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came for you, Ben. He came for me, and and he paid our debt of sin when he was there on the cross. That is very personal. Yeah, it is. I mean, the hymn really puts you at the feet of the cross there. It does. It, it covers both objective and subjective justification. Yeah, yeah, Jesus did this for the whole world, but I'm part of that world, you know, and the reason, and for me, myself personally, man, what great love, but I mean, it, he did it for the whole world, but why would he actually do it for me? You know, like I'm not, I don't deserve that, but he loved me, you know, and that's what everyone can say when they go to the feet of the cross. I think, yeah, that point that you made is, it's very beautiful that, yeah, this is me. <laughs> this is I, I am the one, you know, and I think that Sim does that excellently. Well, verse four, you mentioned that these things that we see Jesus carrying out, these weren't just by chance. Jesus couldn't, he couldn't not do this. Mm -hmm. He had to do this. Why? Because this was God's plan. It had been foretold even in the Old Testament. And verse four reminds me a lot of Isaiah 53, a couple of verses in particular in there about with the shepherd, but we'll read verse four. What punishment so strange is suffered yonder? The shepherd dies for sheep that loved to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him who would not know him. Beautiful verse there. One of my favorites. Yeah, I love that one too. I think, you know, we talk about Isaiah 53, that, that, that section of scripture, you know, the suffering servant, that should be like in the mind of every Lenten hymn, you know, and, and certainly it is here too. I think of 
the the section of scripture I think of when I when I read this verse is Jesus talking about himself being the good shepherd, you know, in John, John 10, you know, saying that he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep, you know, the hireling, he flees when he sees, you know, trouble, but, and, and the wolves, but not the good shepherd. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't run away when there's trouble. In fact, you know, he's the one who lays down his life, you know, when the tough, the tough hat things happen, the, the good shepherd, he doesn't, run and leave the sheep to fend for themselves, but rather he lays down his life for the sheep. And then you talk about the sheep, you know, I love that, that line, the, uh, the shepherd dies for sheep that love to wander. And that's, you know, that just talks to us like so aptly, you know, (laughs) where, where sheep were just wandering all over the place, you know, like have not a thought in our brains, just, Oh, is this dangerous? I don't care. You know, but Jesus, he loves us so much that he died for us, willing to die for us. Um, yeah, pays the debt his servants owe him. Uh, you think there about, you know, I don't, there's so many parables that just spring to mind, you know, the, the unforgiving servant, you know, who owes the master just so much money, he can't do anything about it. And then the, it just all is forgiven. And then he, you know, goes and rings out his fellow servant's neck because he won't pay him, you know, like the, the measly sum of money that he's owed. Um, sounds like us, you know, <laughs> the punishment so strange that has suffered yonder is for us sheep and our wanderings, which are many and multiple. And the only way we could have that great debt paid for is by this great good shepherd dying. I think of John 1. He came to his own Mm-hmm. And his own did not receive him. You have this interesting contrast, shepherd, sheep, master, servant. And of those two, those contrasts, you'd think, well, the shepherd is more valuable than the sheep and the master is more important than the servants. But which one dies? The shepherd, mm-hmm. the master. And so you have this contrast that you you develop there that, yes, even though they're wandering, even though they didn't care about him, yet he was willing to give his life. And again, talk about personal, right? Yeah. Because that's me. And sometimes we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think of ourselves as rebelling against Jesus, but we do. That is our sinful nature. That is exactly what we are. We are by nature, the enemies of God rebelling against him, but he seeks us out and he gives his life even for those who do not want to have him. And that's how we become his very own. Another contrast in verse five. The sinless son of God must die in sadness. The sinful child of man may live in gladness. Man forfeited his life and is acquitted. God is committed. You mentioned this at the beginning in our introduction. Yeah, I think verse five is kind of the natural progression of thought from verse four. You know, it it, it finally arrives at that truth that the sinless son of God dies in sadness so that I, the sinful child of man may live in gladness. Just, you know, the great exchange there, you know, Jesus dies so I can live. And, uh, and I, I really like the, the, the last part of that stanza too. the man forfeited his life and is acquitted. God is committed. And that's, that's so true. You know, when, even one little sin condemns us. Our life is considered to be forfeit. You know, it's, it's done, you know, it's, it's all down the drain, but, and 
we stand acquitted. That is acquitted, not guilty. We are not punished for the sins that we deserve to be punished for. And why is that? Because God is committed. And I like that play on words too. You know, God is committed. That is, he is found guilty, even though he was innocent, but he was committed to us. He committed himself to pay for our sins, to gain and earn us salvation. Um, it's just, it's, it's just love and action, you know, Jesus dying on the cross for me, like what commitment that took, you know, what commitment it took to, to not give in to the temptations to the, Oh, he come down and we'll believe you. You know, Jesus said, all right. And then could have just come down or to just like shoot the nails out of his hands and just, you know, pray for those 12 legions of angels, just wipe out these people. But no, he was committed to loving us. And boy, man, what a picture. Well, the, the next few verses are full of beautiful picture language, just like we've seen in verse four and five, the sheep, the shepherd, the master, the servant, the sinless son of God, the sinful child. We can't cover all of them, though. Um, yeah. Let's let's jump ahead a little bit to the end of the hymn. And we, again, see this personal nature that comes out. A lot of me and my here at the end, so seeing the, the application. What is the meaning of Christ's suffering and death for me, which we, he's, he's indicated it now, but now it becomes more personal. Uh, I'm going to take verses 11 and 12 together. But since my strength will never more suffice me to crucify desires that still entice me to all good deeds, so let thy spirit win me and reign within me. I'll think upon thy mercy without ceasing that earth's vain joys to me no more may be pleasing. To do thy will shall be my sole endeavor henceforth forever. So yeah. verse 11 kind of covers the fact that I can't do this on my own, I need God's help to do it. And then the reflection, which is really what Lent is all about in verse 12, starts that idea of reflection on what, what this is all about and why we should think about it year after year after year after year. Right. Yeah. I th think kind of that in the beginning of the hymn, we have, you know, law, certainly, and gospel, the fact that Jesus was willing to go through with this to, you know, because he loved me. And here, I think in 11 and 12, we really have sanctification. You know, it's saying that since Jesus loved me this way, I'm going to live a different life. You know, I'm not going to keep on wandering. You know, I'm going to try, I'm going to like have this new found appreciation and dedication through the cross. Um, my strength's never going to suffice me to crucify, you know, the deeds that still entice me. Like that desire to sin is still going to be there. Like you got to kind of be realistic about that, I think. But, you know, with the Spirit's help, to, we'll do good deeds, you know, like deeds based out of the love that Jesus has for us. And it's good to always think about, you know, the mercy that we are shown through the cross. Um, mercy is, you know, you think about grace and mercy. We kind of have that common catechism picture there of grace is God's undeserved love, God giving you what you don't deserve and mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And uh, Jesus on the cross is a perfect example of that. Uh, that's what we deserve is the cross because the cross is not just crucifixion and torture and shame. You know, it's hell itself. And that's what our sins truly earned us. But thinking about that in 
that mercy that we're shown in the cross. And then why are, are we not going to, how are we going to live now? Are we going to live like people who haven't been shown that mercy? Are we going to just go about wandering around in the world, you know, like being prey to any kind of temptation we have? No, we need to think about this without ceasing. And don't worry about earth's vain joys. They're vain. My sole endeavor shall be to do thy will forever. And obviously we can't do that on our own. We're, we're sinful, but through the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Yeah, that's the neat part is that he emphasizes this is God's work in us. Mm-hmm. We cannot do it on our own. And then I'm, I'm going I'm to take 13 and 14 together again. Okay. 13 continues to build on this, this idea of sanctification that you were talking about. And, and the fact that when we look to the cross, which we just talked about in verse 12, that motivates us. It drives us to do these things that God wants us to do. We don't do good works because we think we can earn salvation. We do good works because we know what God has done for us, and we do it out of a response for everything that he has done for us. And so he'll talk about the sacrifice that we make this uh, uh, of our lives. Uh, we are, our bodies, Paul says, is a living sacrifice to God. Uh, and that's a pretty neat picture that, uh, that uh, Hermann brings out here in verses 13 and 14. He says, what air of earthly good this life may grant me. I'll risk for thee, no shame, no cross shall daunt me. I shall not fear what man can do to harm me, nor death alarm me. But worthless is my sacrifice, I own it. Yet, Lord, for love's sake, thou wilt not disown it. Thou wilt accept my gift in thy great meekness, nor shame my weakness. Some beautiful verses there, too, talking about sanctification. Yeah, definitely. It it puts into the perspective, you know, what our life on this earth is in comparison to what Jesus won for us on the cross. Um, Whatever of earthly good this life may grant me, think of like maybe even, you know, a mighty fortress, take they (laughs) our lives, good fame, child of life, kind of the same idea there uh, too. Uh, You'll risk it all you know, for Jesus, no shame, no cross shall daunt you. Obviously the crosses that we have aren't the same as the cross that he had, but we can bear them through his example, through his love, through his strength, um, that we don't need to fear what man can do to us. You know, like the Lord is my helper. Jesus has paid, has taken care of my most essential need by going on the cross. And I like that verse 14 too, that it, you know, Jesus's sacrifice was amazing and awesome. What is our sacrifice to God in comparison to that? It's, it is nothing. It is pitiful, you know, like try as, as hard as we, as we can, we can't give him the sacrifice that he deserves, but because he loves us so much, even our most weakest and feeblest attempts are accepted, are God accepts them anyways, you know, and I like how worthless is my sacrifice. I own it. Like I know it, but because you love me so much, you're not going to disown it. You're going to accept my great, my, my gift, whatever, if that you want to even call it that in meekness, and you're not going to shame my weakness, you know, like I should be so much better than I am. And you know that, oh Lord, but even so, you still accept what I what I have to offer. And man, yeah, just 
incredible that what can we do to to say thank you for that you know there is nothing but god takes it he accepts it anyway it makes me think of paul's question to the lord and i think it's in first corinthians where he talks about you know lord why didn't you take this this thorn that's in my side away from me and then mm-hmm. the lord responded and said my strength will be made known in your weakness and how the lord uses our he, Paul describes our lives as uh, earthen vessels, yep. easily broken, uh, not worth anything, but the Lord, his glory is revealed through, through that. Let's take a look at the last verse. And this one takes us, boy, I don't know that uh, Lutheran hymns should, should end in any other way, but to point okay. us finally to the goal of all of this, and that is back to heaven. And when, dear Lord, before thy throne in heaven, to me, the crown of joy at last is given, where sweetest hymns thy saints forever raise thee, I too shall praise thee. Yeah, it really gets us to the point, you know, it, it takes, it, it starts off at the cross and then ends in, you know, the kingdom. It starts at the cross, ends at the throne. And like you said, I think that's, that's a good place for any hymn him to get to drive you to i think there too you is talking about the crown of joy that crown of salvation and why do we have that it was because jesus allowed the crown of thorns to be placed into his head um that around the throne of heaven we are we're gonna sing you know with the rest of the saints and praise him for what he has done for us you know the the lamb the slain the victorious Jesus, you know, in full glory at, at the cross, he didn't look very glorious. He didn't look innocent. He looked guilty. He looked terrible. He looked shameful, but you start there and then you end with him coming in glory. You know, it's way opposite picture. You know, that's, that is humility personified, and then you have exaltation at the throne personified Jesus in his glory, his saints, the sheep that he died for praising him forever. The sweetest hymns, thy saints forever raise thee. And then, you know, like we mentioned again too, and I'm going to be one of them. You know, I, there's a place for me. There is a mansion prepared in heaven for me by Jesus himself. What great love is this, you know, that I get to be counted so, so blessed to be able to have, even if I am, you know, a doorkeeper, it praise God, you know, that I am found worthy to praise him forever and to enjoy heaven with him in eternity, man, just, just a sweet, sweet picture. That's our goal. You know, that's what we're driving forward towards. It's, to be in heaven with him forever and that's exactly why he did what he did isn't it Mm -hmm. i mean this is this was the goal the whole reason was to deliver us from this world of sin so that we would be with him in a perfect world that's how much he loved us and he carried that out for us let's listen to these verses from hymn 143 we'll listen to the version done by the lutheran quartet Should on thee be 
To 
Any final thoughts on this hymn, Ben? Yeah, just an excellent, excellent Lenten hymn. Um, as you heard there, uh, I really love the tune of the hymn also. Just goes along with it, with the words perfectly, you know. It, it's very somber. It's very reflective. And I think that's what this hymn is all about. It's reflective somberness, you know, <laughs> like like first it's it's, curi- it's curiosity. Oh, what did he do to get up there? And then it's realization, man, I'm the reason he is up there. But then it doesn't end on a sour note. It It's a beat at the same time as it is sad. Um, it's that he did this for me. Therefore, I am loved. Therefore, I'm going to live a life that's not like it was before. It's going to be different. And at the end of the day, no matter what happens, I have a place with heaven and with Jesus. And, you know, Jesus and he took all the shame and the agony so that I never had to suffer that. And I am given the glory that he deserves and God be praised. You know, do you have any, any thoughts on the, on the hymn, Nathaniel? Well, again, it's, it's in the Lenten section. You can't go wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think again, that, that period of history is so rich as you pointed out, what should a, what should a look, let's just say, what should a hymn do? Mm -hmm. It should be, it should be theological. It should point us to our savior and it should be rich and biblically based mm-hmm. as you pointed out. And then it should bring us to the realization that all of that was done for, for me, you know, so there's that personal application of it as well. And, and this hymn does all of those so well. There's so many different times where we go to the biblical references with the old Testament, then the new Testament all over that he weaves in these passages and these themes throughout scripture in order to, to teach us something about who God is and who we are and what God has done for lost sinners, such as us, the shepherd gives his life for sheep that loved to wander. Wow. Amen. Well, thank you, Ben, for taking us through this hymn. Look forward to doing a few more of these during the Lenten season with you. Always a joy to dig into not only the scriptures, but also to our rich Lutheran hymnody as well. We pray that the Lord would bless you through this study of God's word and through the heritage that we have as Lutherans, that he would encourage you in your Christian faith through the instruction and teaching of both his word and Johann Hermann and what he teaches us in this hymn. May the Lord richly bless your Lenten season. We invite you to join us every week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast, where we will continue to proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior for sinners. Until next week, take comfort in the fact that God is your rock and ever-present help in trouble.